Good morning. <clears throat> I am DJ. If you don't know me yet, I'm the youth pastor here at Genesis. So super excited to be with you this morning and uh, talk a little bit about Palm Sunday. Uh, I also just wanted to say, I don't know what it is about today uh, that made me notice it, but I am just, uh, today for some reason, I'm just uh, touched or like impressed or something by the way that, that this community is caring for each other. Uh, just observing you and feeling the, the, the care and the love that's been expressed to me this morning, I just feel like we're doing, a, we're doing something good here. And I think it's worth pointing out. Like, there is a community being built here at Genesis. And I don't want us to, to take that for granted or to, to miss what's happening in the midst of that. It's not as common as you would think. Building community can be this rare thing, which doesn't seem like it should be that way uh, among Christians. But it is, and I just want to point out this morning that whatever God is doing in our lives, in, in this space that we're creating together, um, there's something happening, and I don't want you to miss that. I hope that you're experiencing that as well. I hope that you're finding that. I hope that you're finding your place in this community, and, uh, and I hope that you continue digging into that. And I know not all of us are huggers, and I'm not always, but there's something the last, uh, the last month or so about hugs that have been all right. So if you see me, I'll, I'll accept those. That's all right. I just want to start for a minute uh, with some prayer. So would you join me? God, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word and the ways that you have been working um, not just in my life, but in the life of our staff and in the life of our people and just everyone who is um, a part or being impacted by Genesis. God, we know that you are the architect of all of this, and you have shown us so clearly how you are working and continuing to, uh, to build your kingdom, not just here, um, not just at this corner, but all over this city as we go out and uh, take your presence with us. God, I pray that that would continue this morning, that you would continue to build that in us, continue to bring us closer to you, and, uh, and just give us uh, that feeling, that, that knowledge that you are close and you have great work in store for us. Thank you for this week, uh, Jesus. We just want to remember you and do, um, do some justice to what you have done in justice for us. So. Be with us this morning. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, as everybody is, has uh, mentioned this morning, this is a kickoff to Holy Week, which is kind of a big uh, week in church worlds. Uh, if you work at a church, you know this is kind of like the Super Bowl, where you're like, everything just works towards Easter Sunday, and then on Monday, we take a break and take a rest, hopefully, and uh, maybe get to sleep in. That would be nice. So, um, But... This week is very important. It's this insane, crazy experience that Jesus has. And today uh, starts that. It begins that. But it actually starts even before Jesus enters Jerusalem. Uh, we know from tradition, from history, from other writings, that there was this, this, uh, this leader in Israel, in Jerusalem at the time. His name was Pilate. And uh, he didn't always stay in Jerusalem, but this week he would show up to Jerusalem. Now, that was important because in the Jewish customs, this is Passover week, 
when they would celebrate when the slaves were freed from Egypt and when God came and rescued his people and said, I'm going to take you out of this place and I'm going to create a new space for you to live and thrive and flourish and to be a blessing to the whole world. That was God's call on this people. And this was the time when they would celebrate that. But here they were, yet again, under occupation. They weren't a free people. They were part of the Roman Empire, and so they were experiencing some oppression, and they weren't allowed to necessarily be everything that they wanted to be. And so there would be strangers in town celebrating, and there would be strangers in town who were looking to cause a ruckus. And so Pilate would show up, because what do you do when there's potentially going to be a ruckus among your people? Well, when you're in charge, you show up, right? When there's going to be a ruckus at work because one of your employees is causing trouble, where do you go? You don't go to the coffee shop and work. You show up to work. What's that? Yeah, you go hide. (laughs) I guess it depends on who's causing... Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Well, in this case, Pilate didn't go hide. He showed up, and he showed up big. Pilate brought a whole contingent of troops. He showed up on his best horse. He was wearing armor, carrying a spear. This guy meant business. He was not there just to make a show of it. He was there to say, don't mess around or you're going to reap the consequences. All right. He was there to make sure that there wasn't going to be unrest. And so this is kind of important because this gives us the context for what happens in Matthew 21 which we call uh, the uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem or the triumphal entry. So this morning, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 21. If you have a Bible on your phone or you have U version on your phone, go ahead and uh, find the three dots down in the corner. You can go to events and you can check out all of the notes and all of the passages that we're going to be using today. Um, otherwise, you can just follow along in your hardcover. Does anybody carry a hardcover Bible anymore? Yeah, yeah, some of you. All right, a couple of you. That's good. So we're going to start in Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So why does Jesus approach Jerusalem in this way? As we'll see, he's moving in a deliberate, chosen plan. 
He's not kind of going willy-nilly. He's doing this on purpose. Is it possible that the uproar is part of his plan? His entry would have seemed kind of the polar opposite of, of Pilate. Pilate did it one way. Jesus is drawing attention to another way of entering. In fact, this would have probably been a direct challenge to who Pilate was. Jesus knows this, and yet he continues forward doing it. I don't know that we always recognize this 2,000 years later, but but the animals that were chosen here, they, they play a difference in this display. See, Pilate chooses military power. He chooses strength. He chooses to show that he's mighty, that he has all of this power and authority. Jesus rides a donkey. Not just a donkey, but a little donkey. A big one. A big one. He rides a young donkey that hasn't been ridden yet. He is using what God had set aside for Israel as a sign of kings. But the the kings of Israel weren't about power, and they weren't about control, or they weren't supposed to be about power and control. See, the sign of a donkey was peace. Jesus came riding the symbol of peace, not war and terror. He wasn't riding man-made power. He was riding what God had set aside as a symbol. Jesus makes the plan. He tells the disciples, all right, you're going to go. You're going to do this. This isn't just happening by chance. He's not kind of going along with the crowd. Jesus is moving to do one thing. He's going to confront the sin and corruption that has stolen the hearts of the people that God had set aside as his own. Jesus is entering strong. He's not slouching his way into town. Jesus is journeying to the place where he knows that he needs to be deliberately, not being swayed. He's doing exactly what he believes he needs to do. Sometimes I wonder if we, if we understand this. We saw the kids come in waving the palm branches. We think about all the things that are said on, on Palm Sunday, you know, Hosanna, peace, all of this stuff. But do we realize Jesus is choosing this path? This is the moment that he's chosen to confront sin, to confront everything that was distracting the world from being the blessing that they were designed and created to be. So I think Jesus is giving us this literal picture of what he's talking about in Matthew 5. This is where Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving us an example of who people were designed to be. If we are in God's kingdom, what are we supposed to be called to? And this is what Jesus has to say about that. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I think Jesus must have known riding into town, like I've spoken these words, I've tried to live this life, and here we are. Here we are at the end of it. There is no better time to show exactly what I meant than this, to ride into town with all of the power in the world available to him, but to do it humbly. In John 10, Jesus makes it clear that it's his, his choice, his direction, his time to move. He says this in verse 17, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to know that Jesus is choosing this, that Jesus is forcing the hand in this moment? I believe verse 10 in our original passage in Matthew 21 explains it best. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. Jesus is forcing the issue because people need to know. Some translations use turmoil instead of uproar, and I considered using that word this week, but there was something about uproar that just, I don't know, just felt right. It just resonated, not just with me, but talking with Pastor Ryan, it was the same thing. Uproar. It's this word. It's what happens when Jesus confronts what's happening in the world that sin and corruption had stolen people away from who God had designed them to be. They had forgotten what God had called of them in their lives. Jesus is coming to create this uncomfortable situation that cannot be escaped to point out what was missing in their lives. God has come to Jerusalem to say, no more, I'm not going to stand idly by and watch you suffer, and, and wonder when you're going to finally see me. I am here. Here I am. You can't ignore this anymore. And for us, uh, Jerusalem becomes a metaphor for us. God shows up in our lives. Jesus shows up in our lives, asking, is this your identity? Is this who you are? Is this the religion that you're going to carry with you? Or are you going to see God and Jesus for the first time as the fix, as the solution to the problem to what you've been searching for? It's bringing an uproar to their world, to their identity, to our world, 
and to our identities. Jesus' attention and focus are here because this is the root of the problem. Confronting that problem, finding the fix, that's Jesus' whole plan. We like Jesus riding on the donkey, waving, waving the palm branches, saying, Woo, Jesus! Or we say different words, Hosanna, all of that. But essentially, we're celebrating, right? We're celebrating Jesus' entry. But Jesus is about to have a heck of a week, right? What's the first thing Jesus does right after this? Anybody know? Yeah, he goes and clears out the temple. He says, oh, wait, hold on. You may celebrate, but I got some hard words to say uh, before we get to the celebration. We think of Jesus on this Palm Sunday as this like conquering hero wandering in. But I can tell you this, Jesus is not Iron Man, and Jesus is not Superman. He's not here to fix the day and then wave encouragingly as he zooms away, right? Jesus is here to change everything that's about to happen. Jesus is bringing an uproar to your life. The Jesus who endures this crazy week, he confronts everything in our lives that is in tension with who God is. God is working in our world. God is working in our midst. And we have a lot of stuff hanging out inside of us sometimes that's in tension with that. You guys ever hear, like, when you're listening to some live music and somebody plays that wrong note, and you're like, "Woo! that was not right? That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. Jesus is the one who's playing the right note and our hearts are playing the wrong note. And it creates this tension in us. It creates this sound. It creates something that we know this cannot stay the same. My life cannot stay the same. Jerusalem in this moment started to understand life as we know it cannot stay the same. Jesus is interrupting and disrupting every single thing that's happening. It's revealing to us the ways that our life is not in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And we think of this, I think, I think we think of this like that first time we meet Jesus, right? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, Jesus pointed out that, uh, that you know, my life was kind of going in the wrong direction and things weren't, weren't doing it. But then I met him and now it's great. It's fine. Is it? Is it? Or is Jesus continuing to create an uproar in your life? I think Jesus is continuing to create uproars in our life. I know he does to me. This happened to me the other day. I, I was talking to somebody. Uh, I was working at the racetrack, and I was talking to somebody. And, you know, guys, we get kind of, you know, boastful sometimes. You know how when your friend's, like, hyping you up? And you're like, you're starting to believe the hype a little bit. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd done this really great work. Like, uh, you know, I, I know it was great work. It was good work, right? And he's like, man, you know, that was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, 
It was awesome. Do you know who you're talking to? In that moment, you realize, like, how arrogant are you? What? I mean, really? That's what, that's what you say in response to that? I have to. <laughs> no, I didn't. In fact, I made it worse later, Jane. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, I, went, I went all in, okay? I went all in on the arrogance almost all weekend. Finally, this was like on Friday. Finally, on Sunday afternoon, I was like, all right, I got to stop, right? I got I to gotta quit because this is bad. Um, yeah. It's funny how humor shows what's happening <laughs> on the inside sometimes in ways that we're not prepared for or that we don't understand is what's actually going on inside of us, right? And all of that was just covering up this moment where I knew um, I had been feeling insecure about something that I had done at a previous time. I had made a mistake, and so I was just feeling that turmoil of, like, am I good enough? Asking that question inside, am I doing the right thing? Am I actually this person? And then that arrogance is the response, right? It's like, well, you're darn right I am that guy. I am good enough, and people like me. (laughs) But it's Jesus in that moment creating that tension, asking that question. Do you realize, though, you are good enough without doing the right thing, without being the right thing? Is this moment when you see I am in the midst of this chaos, this uproar, this tension in your life. I'm not absent from it, Jesus says. I'm right here in the middle of it. Jesus is entering in the middle of this procession, a part of asking that question. I want to tell you the story of a mother and a son uh, who needed to to confront their own questions. So this is uh, Florence. Hang on. There we go. So Florence is the mother, and uh, Harmony is her son. I love that name. Um, it's just such a good name. Harmony had a regular, or, or Florence had a regular pregnancy. She made it to all of her appointments. Harmony arrived. Everything was fine. He was a healthy young baby boy. And he grew and developed at a normal rate, and everything seemed to be going well. Florence noticed Harmony didn't start making noises when other kids did. And even though he was developing, he was walking, he was moving around, he was an excited boy, he just didn't talk. He didn't make hardly any noise at all. And Harmony was a little bit excited. He would get wound up almost 24-7. If he wasn't asleep, he was moving. He was active. And so Florence grew worried, as you would when you're a parent, when something just seems off with your child. And so she took her to the doctor, and the doctor's like, I, I think he'll be all right. You know, like everything's, everything's moving along. This, this isn't abnormal. Some kids just take a while to talk. He'll talk eventually. So Harmony's four and a half years old, and, uh, and Florence signs him up for school, and she goes to take him in, and they're like, this is unusual. This isn't, this isn't a normal development for a kid. And so now she grows worried because everything she had heard up until this point was that it's fine, it's okay, it's not a big deal. And so they say, come back in a week 
and uh, we would like to do some tests, and we'd like to get to know you better, and we'll, we'll talk about what's happening with Harmony. She walks in with her baby boy, and there are 11 doctors and social workers there to greet her. It's overwhelming. She's like, what is happening? I don't understand this. But they're like, it's okay. Like, this is normal. We just want to be very comprehensive in, in what we're testing and what we're doing today. So they test, and they, they get to know them, and they discover that Harmony is autistic. And Florence doesn't know what to do at this moment. She's never experienced this. This is her first child. She's not sure what's going to happen. But they say to her, listen, it's going to be okay. He doesn't have to go to a special school. We know that he's extremely intelligent. He can follow all of our commands. He can do all of these things. He has tons of great motor skills. He's obviously a very bright child. We're going to put him in a class that he belongs in with his age group. And he's going to learn how to, how to move and grow and develop, and we'll just see where he goes. This school came alongside of Harmony and Florence and said, come in. We're going to love you through this, and we're going to see what happens. And this was very different than what they had experienced because, as you can imagine, with a hyper kid who doesn't really talk but like grunts and gets angry and, and has to deal with all of these emotions that they can't express, uh, there were some behavior issues. And Florence had to deal with it from her family and her friends, and they would give her unsolicited advice about how to raise her kid and tell her all of the ways that she was doing it wrong. Anybody ever experienced that, you know, your kid? having a tantrum, and your friends are like, well, you know what I did. And you're like, no, and I don't care either. <laughs> but Florence had to deal with this, and her family didn't understand very well, and so they put him in school, and, and there are issues. But his teachers loved him. His teachers never removed him from the classroom. He would disrupt what was going on, and they would refocus attention, and they would help Harmony to get back to what he knew he needed to be doing. They didn't punish him for the things that he was experiencing. In the middle of this, Florence realizes if there's no cure for this, then it's a God thing. And if it's a God thing, then how can I experience this except by faith? Florence began to understand I can't change my son. I can't expect him to do things the way that I want him to do. And God is in the middle of this, even though. God is still at work in the life of my son. So Florence committed to reading scripture. She discovered that when she played certain um, hymns and music and worship, that he would actually sit down for a minute. And she would pray over him at night, and she would read scripture over him as he slept. And she was so sure that God was in the middle of this. See, Florence entered into the uproar of her life. Florence didn't allow this moment of uncertainty and, and, and questioning what was happening in her life to derail her or to push her away from God. Instead, she said, I need you more now than ever. I need you to be in this. I need you to take care of harmony. And so after he had been at school for a little while, um, one day she realizes 
that Harmony is whispering. She's never heard him speak a word. All he would do was grunt up until this point. And so she got closer, and she's like, what, what are you saying? And she can hear him whisper again, and she realizes he's whispering Scripture. He's speaking the words that have been spoken and prayed over him for his entire life. His baby sister was born, and Florence was afraid because she did not know. He was a wild kid. He was a little bit of a wild card. She didn't know how it was going to go. But he absolutely adored his baby sister, and he would be so gentle in holding her and taking care of her and watching her grow. He was becoming everything that Florence had dreamed of and wasn't sure she would get the chance to see. He's, uh, as of last year, Harmony is in, uh, uh, a sixth grade student, and he can speak all right, not, not as well as you would think as a sixth grader, but, but he's developing, and he's growing, and he's learning. But most of all, his community has learned something as well. His family has learned that it's, it's not okay to just give up. His family has learned that sometimes the uproar is what brings beauty to their lives. This morning I want us to remember this. Embracing Jesus' uproar brings us healing. Jesus came to heal Jerusalem. He came to heal people. He came to heal us. When we run away from the chaos, from the turmoil, from the uproar in our lives, we're running away from healing. We're running away from the opportunity for God to enter into the soft spots in our lives to say, I can make a difference in your life. I can do something for you. I can make you what you never dreamed you could be. I can, I can help. I can do that. Yes, of course, this is difficult. It's difficult to enter the uproar, to admit that we have places that are in tension with God's kingdom in our life, with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We've conditioned ourselves to, to turn away, to run away from all of the things that are difficult. I, I as I told you, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with my lack of insecurity in my life. If I can just hold it off for long enough, <laughs> it's going to be fine. It'll just go away and things will be all right, right? If I just don't address the thing that's driving me crazy, maybe it'll get better. And it never does. It never does. The uproar just keeps coming back. It just keeps arriving at our doorstep. Sometimes we get to a point where we have to address it because we have nothing left. We have no defenses left. We have no ability to run away anymore. And then we're like, oh, yeah, now I see. If I had just chosen that a little bit earlier, maybe I could have saved myself some pain. I don't want us to forget this morning that the uproar is part of our life the turmoil that we face in our lives. It's part of our lives. It's also a part of who God is in the midst of us, in the midst of what we do. 
Jesus, just after he enters, or just after he kind of comes over the hill and he sees Jerusalem for the first time on this ride on the donkey, as he humbly comes forward with all of the power in the world, he does this, Luke 19. It says, when the city came into view, he wept over it. If you had only recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now it's too late. See, it was too late for the city to realize who Jesus was in this moment. The beauty of it today is it's not too late for us. It's just the beginning. Jesus in his humanity, in his, in his caring for us in this moment, he's weeping because he sees what's been missed up until this point. He sees how God has been at work, and it's been missed. He sees that the uproar is beginning. He sees that the broken relationships are happening. He sees that your destructive habits are happening. He's bringing hope to all of that. But he sees the pain, and it moves him to tears. Jesus understands. The uproar is not fun. The turmoil isn't the best. And yet, he marches on. We know later, and we'll probably celebrate on Good Friday, that Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives where this whole thing starts. And he just cries his heart out to God. He is experiencing all of humanity in these moments. He's not, he's not immune to the uproar that's happening in our lives, to the tension that we're feeling in our lives. He's saying, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to take this journey through the pain, through the uproar, to get to the end so that there can be healing in our lives. Jesus wants to continue to shine a light on the unhealthy chaos in your life to bring you close. Wherever you are, if you know Jesus, it's still happening. He's still calling out to you. He's still saying, come closer to me. I want to bring healing to this place in your life too. If you don't know Jesus, that's what he's calling for for you as well. He's saying, don't, don't miss it. I love you. I'm doing this precisely because I love you. Jesus walks into Jerusalem full of humility and love and care for the people there. He has to endure it. He doesn't want to. We have to endure a lot in our lives. But the beauty is, on the other side of that, is hope. It's healing. It's the beauty of a life like Harmony's. It may not be what we thought it was at the start, but something even more amazing and beautiful and tender and awesome lives on the other side. That's the hope for you and I this morning. Let's pray. God, we hear you whispering into our lives this morning. We know the chaos is happening around us. Sometimes these Sunday mornings can feel like a bit of an escape. 
from the chaos in our lives, from the uproar. And I think we need that, God, because we need your hope in our lives. We need to know that you are at work in us and for us. You are bringing healing to the places that are rough. God, it seems like sometimes we may not survive the uproar. But I am so glad that Jesus tells us that he is here for us. He is here to bring healing. He is here to bring hope to our lives. God, this morning, if anybody doesn't know that, I just pray that we would be a community that would recognize that, that would see that, that would come alongside of of those who are wondering where you are. God, make us uh, wise in your ways. Help us to be aware of when you are moving in us, when the uproar is creating a spot where we can see you in a way that we've never seen you before. God, I pray this week that as we journey with you to the cross and watch as you resurrect your son, I pray that we would see that we would see how you are moving to bring healing to our lives. God, I thank you for everything that you do in us. Bring your presence as we worship with you this morning.